AJ. Hey Steph, are you looking for dad? Yeah, we're recording the podcast today. He's in the workshop. Warning, it's kind of loud down there. Can I go down? Knock yourself out. Hello, Toby. Has anyone seen a co-host down here? Hey, come on, come on over and see this. What is all this? So, I was on Mastodon and posting about the show, right? I realized that I totally missed posting the first full episode. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, yeah, and I made the joke that this never would have happened if we had a robot doing it, which got me thinking, what if we had a robot on Writing in Robots? You're building a podcasting robot. Yeah. What does that even mean? I don't know yet. Exactly. Uh, But I found all these open source libraries and I think I've managed to clutch them together into something that will function to, like, come up with flash fiction prompts and stuff. So, like a little baby chat GPT just for us. Yes. Well, okay. Yes and no. This isn't a large language model. This seems like, I don't know, maybe it's got some secret sauce that chat GPT doesn't. The white paper talks about, like, cognition and stuff. LLMs can't understand what they're saying. It's just kind of a contextual magic trick. Whereas this will have some degree of understanding. But the result here should be similar. Maybe even better. Is it ready? Yeah, yeah. Let me just connect the battery. System initializing. Oh, it talks. Reticulating splines. Loading speech model. And it listens. Say hi, robot. Hi, Robot. Hi, Robot. I'm Steph. Hi, Steph. I am a computational cognition system dedicated to the podcast writing in robots. I have no name. I have not been given one. Well, that's a little sad. (laughs) Did you want to give it a name? Sure. It is named Bishop. Ooh, great reference. Thank you. I am named Bishop. Acknowledged. This is pretty cool. Uh, It's a start. It's just kind of a talking box right now. There's lots more tinkering to do. Later, though, right? Let's take Bishop and get going. We're on the clock to record this episode. Right you are. Uh, Bishop, please introduce the show while we get set up. This is Writing in Robots, episode 003, First Words. Welcome to Writing in Robots, a fully functional podcast from stephanieannauthor.ca and Love Make Share. Hey, Steph. Hi, Trevor. <laughs> Welcome to episode three, everybody. Uh, it's called First Words because we're talking about beginnings. Yay! It is also a reference to the first play that my wife wrote. Aww. Uh, and I'm using this as an opportunity to remind her that she is a much better writer <laughs> than she thinks she is, and she should do more of it. So you're telling me I need to switch co-hosts then? I mean, she is certainly a better speaker than <laughs> I am, so maybe? Well, we can at least have her on as a guest someday. I think so. I think there's definitely room for a spouses episode here yes. <laughs> in which they commiserate about what it's like to be married to writers. My spouse will share all of the dirty secrets. <laughs> So beginnings, Steph, we're going to go kind of in escalating order of, of size and scope here. We're going to talk about scenes. We're going to talk about short stories in which I will heavily defer to you. <laughs> As we established in the last episode, you are the, you are the short story authority. Not um, a position I ever expected to find myself in. Well, congratulations. If we ever have merch for the show, I think <laughs> short story authority is going to have yes. to be our first t-shirt. I'll wear it to every convention. <laughs> um, so scenes, short stories, and then novels. So how do we open a scene? How do we open a short story? How do we open the first chapter of a novel? Um, I've been thinking about that last one a lot. I don't know if you saw in the notes, but I have been rewriting from the ground up (laughs) the first chapter of Persephone's Champion a number of times now to try and get it ready for querying. But let's start with scenes. Yes. Do we need to talk about what a scene is before we get into it? I would hope that if someone is listening to a podcast about writing, that they already have a basic understanding of what a scene is. Yeah, so I don't think we'll we'll get too deep into it, but like things, what are some things that you think people should Google if they're like trying to clarify their understanding of a scene? Maybe we'll do a deep dive episode later yeah. on, but like... 
I mean, you could just start by Googling the word scene and see what comes up. But then you might get the uh, fashion version of scene. So maybe be very specific with your Google terms. I feel like there are maybe a lot of different versions of scenes that could be risky Googles. Um, But I think for the purposes of this, a scene is a unit of storytelling. Yes. It has its own... Uh, it has its own kind of story structure and microcosm. What are the things you try and do when you're opening a scene, Steph? Ah, uh, start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't typically think about opening a scene too much, or at least not as much as I should. Uh, especially in a first draft, I have an idea and I let the word vomit come. And then it's only mm. in editing that I may realize, huh, this isn't a very strong opening. I should fix that. Because uh, especially in the beginning of a scene, and most importantly, if that scene is at the beginning of your work, whether it's a short story or a novel, that first scene is the one that is meant to hook the reader. If that first scene doesn't grab their attention, doesn't make them want to learn more, mm. they're not going to keep reading. Yeah, it's got to be compelling enough to keep them moving. I outline my novels in scenes. So when I'm putting together an outline, uh, especially early on in an outline, each bullet point in my outline tends to be a scene. So it is something that I kind of have to think about mm. right at that stage. Otherwise, otherwise, my outline doesn't work. And I'm a plotter. So if the, if the idea of the scene doesn't work, then the outline doesn't work, then my draft is a huge pain to try and actually get on paper. Whereas um, by comparison, I am a pantser. I let the muse overtake me. I spew everything out on the page and then <laughs> I fix it in editing. The fix it in post approach. Pretty much. I yeah. think I'm, I'm looking forward to when we finally get to talking about like conventional wisdom in the writing community, because I do want to have a bit of an argument about plotting and pantsing because <laughs> I have some Potentially, especially in this room, with you as a pantser, maybe some controversial takes on pantsing. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm going to be honest, this year for NaNoWriMo, I'm planning something pretty different from what I've written before. Uh, still very much a creepy horror story. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I might plot the entire <gasps> thing. Yeah, I might Steph. spend all of October plotting an outline. Don't tell writing Twitter. Yeah. And I have fully 50% of it (laughs) coming for your head. Yeah. So I don't know how that's going to work out for me because normally I just start out with an idea. I start of some loose concepts of scenes that might exist peppered throughout the story. And then I just try and weave it all together and fix any problems in post. (laughs) So yeah, we will see how planning goes for me. I'm actually really looking forward to hearing (laughs) you talk more about that. I'm scared. Um, (laughs) Going back to scenes, though, the way I try to think about scenes is that each one, what are the character's individual goals? And then you have that like mini story structure Mm -hmm. within the scene, right? So if you have a very clear idea of what everybody's goal is going into a scene and you can establish those up top, then you're talking about hooking the reader and being propulsive about like getting them invested and in and getting the action started within a scene. Really clearly defining what people's goals are at the beginning, I think is a really valuable mm-hmm. step. That's the key thing for me, I think, is like, what does everybody want out of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially coming from a short story perspective. I mean, you don't have a lot of space to get to the point. Mm -hmm. And depending on the size of your short story, sometimes the whole story itself is one scene. Like if you're writing a piece of flash fiction. So something a little longer, like my short story, Cold Cuts and Cigarettes, it's made up of a bunch of different little scenes. Then a piece of flash fiction, like what have I written? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let them eat cake. It's pretty much just one scene. You see someone making a cake and you see who they feed it to within a page. It's very quick. The action doesn't move to a new location or a new place. There aren't new characters to be introduced. So yeah, the weight and importance of a scene, I think, can really change based on what you're setting out to write. Whether it's supposed to be a smaller part of a larger whole or 
this is the only scene you get, so you got to make it as good as possible. Mm. I think our flash fiction prompt um, at the end of this episode, which we don't know what it is because the robot's going to come uh, up with yes. it, obviously. Um, but I suspect that it is a prompt that is going to lend itself to a single scene mm-hmm. piece of flash fiction. Um, so stay tuned for yes. that. Steph, do you ever nest scenes? Do you ever like start a scene and then start a new scene within that scene and then resolve the the kind of goals and objectives of your characters? I think this is where like we're coming up to a parenthetical planner versus pantser <laughs> debate cuz your question sounds like someone who has planned <laughs> thoroughly whereas my response is going to be something along the lines of I don't actually know. And then I'll have Sometimes to by accident. flip through all of the works I've written and go like, huh, I have done that. Well, I, <laughs> this is, funnily enough, this is something that I actually like tend not to do intentionally. Mm-hmm. Like I'll have the top level goals and objectives of, of the scene that are set up and like what each individual character is kind of looking for within the scene, but then introduce new goals and objectives mm-hmm. for them that serve like the larger purpose of the scene. Um, but I, I only realized that this is something I do in, uh, in editing Persephone's champion. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, Oh, shit, I do this a lot, actually, <laughs> like really kind of a lot. There is a scene where Trista, the main character and her teacher and her best buddy are trying to obtain this magical device. Right? It's called an orrery. It's, it's fancy for like a, a functional model of the solar system. So they're trying to obtain this magical device. And that is kind of the over... Like they start with these largely shared goals. Right? Except Solon, the teacher, is also cautiously trying to keep everybody safe. Trista is zeroed in on the objective. And then Bahir is... Bahir, her buddy, is like kind of trying to not be left behind. Because of Trista's headstrongness. Yeah. And then new complications are added throughout the scene that have to be resolved, including adding a new character to the scene mm-hmm. at one yes. point. So each step in that, there are new goals introduced for the characters that then have to be resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of like increases in complexity and then decreases in complexity in terms of how many simultaneous goals everybody has Mm -hmm. but yeah uh, anyway that is something maybe for another time we can talk about nested scene structure but it is yeah I just kind of caught myself doing it kind of a lot because also thinking about the different genres that we write Mm -hmm. I think just the issue of goals itself is very different because you're totally creating you know, especially like in the case of Persephone's champion, it takes place in, you know, this Greek mythology-esque era and you're traveling and introducing new characters and there's all of this. The scope is very different. Yes, whereas uh, one of the longer projects I'm working on right now called Skull Daddy, it takes place with just a single family. All of the action happens within their home Mm -hmm. And basically, the main goal is don't let this demonic force ruin your lives too much. Uh, Try to survive until the next day. And so I find in horror, the goals might be a little simpler. Now, that's not to say there's just one single goal for all the characters to share in that work. It's, you know, the goals of... Am I being a good parent to my possibly possessed child? (laughs) That goal kind of gets put on the back burner when things are exploding in the house. So it's a it's a very different approach. I think I think you see a lot of of interesting goal setting for individual scenes in a lot of like classic horror movies, like your your teens at the lake kind mm-hmm. of format, where different people like there are these all these romantic entanglements yeah. that are playing against one another or like interpersonal conflicts. And those are still goals, right? Mm-hmm. Characters still have goals related to things other than plot, and those are those are always fun to play. Uh, Mm -hmm. off one another in the scene. Okay, one of the discussion prompts that we put up on Mastodon, and for those of you who are on Mastodon, if you search for the hashtag writing and robots, you're going to find some some really smart writers responding to discussion prompts that we put up that are based based on what's coming up in the next episode. And so 
if you're not on Mastodon, which is most people, maybe this will come to other social networks. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. So the prompt was, when writing scenes, do you follow late in, early out? So like all writing rules, this is not mm -hmm. uh, a universal rule. But late in, early out is something that I've heard a ton. And I was surprised to see how many people had never actually heard of this rule. Steph, do you, are you, you're familiar with late yes. in, early out? I feel like as a short story writer, like you have to be. Mm -hmm. Do you want to kind of break down what it is? The phrasing I usually hear associated with that is in medias res. And I mm -hmm. don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but yeah, you want to start in the middle of the action. And especially with a short story, you don't have a lot of words to get to the point. Totally. Uh, for cold cuts and cigarettes, I'll use that as my big example for the episode. I don't start with the narrator being like, oh, I got the invite to my uncle's funeral and I should yep. maybe travel back home. And, you know, I'm living at home with my dad for a while. No, it, the story opens. We're at the funeral. Stuff's already happening. Food's gone missing. The stepmom is running around like a chicken with her head cut off. The narrator's <laughs> like, I do not want to be here. And, right. you know, he has some of those moments where he looks back on what's happened over the past few months. But overall, the bulk of the story is happening right once the action gets going. Mm -hmm. And the story ends before the action has officially concluded. Now, if you've read that short story... um, well, if you haven't, I won't spoil the ending, but strange things happen at the funeral and the story ends with the way this family has interacted with the events of this funeral. But as the story is ending, the neighbors and community members are still doing their part. The action mm -hmm. is still happening, but... I don't need to go on for three more pages saying like, oh, the Millers down the street did this. And then the Johnsons uh, from around the block did that. Yeah. No, it's the core family did their part. Other stuff is still going on, but their part is done. So yes, I went late in, early out, kept it contained to focus around this one family. I could have expanded to look at the wider community, at the wider world, but that would have made it drag on and on and on, and, and no one wants to read that. Yeah, totally. I think the other cautionary mm -hmm. tale example of this that you see with a lot of uh, younger writers especially mm -hmm. is that if they're telling a story, like let's say you've got a high schooler writing a story, yes. takes place at high school, the, the action, the conflict is introduced sometime between getting to school and first period, but the writer starts when the kid wakes up in the morning, yes. right? The alarm, the, the cliche of the alarm clock goes up. I they get up, they do their morning. <laughs> totally. And you know what? Writing those scenes mm -hmm. in terms of process can be super oh, yeah. valuable. But that's not where you should start your story. Mm -hmm. That is that is writing you do for you to learn your character. Mm -hmm. That's not writing that makes it into the final edit, right? Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm surprised by how many people hadn't actually heard mm -hmm. of this rule. I mean... Most writing rules, you bend. But if there is a rule that mm -hmm. I kind of take as gospel, it's kind of that. Yeah. Yeah, and actually thinking about this, I, the longer project I'm working on right now, Skull Daddy, um, it's not quite a traditional novel length, but more it of is a, a novella. Yes, it is a hefty novella at this <laughs> point. Uh, I still have more edits to do because I made so many changes last time. So it could keep growing. That's our second t-shirt. Yes, hefty novella. <laughs> I start the first chapter right in the middle of one of the most emotional scenes. Now, you don't know who the characters are yet. Yeah. You don't know what's actually going on. But I've at least set it up so that you're like, oh my god, someone's just died. This is really horrible. Oh, uh, but wait, something seems a little off here. And then I immediately go back in time six months and just tell the story as is. And then that scene reappears again halfway through the novel, but mm -hmm. with more context. And then ends like at a pretty climactic moment. And more could happen. But I felt it was a more powerful ending to be like, nope, this is really awful. I'm yeah. going to end it right here because you do not know what could happen next. 
but you've got some pretty good ideas that whatever happens next is not going to be good. Your decision on where to end it um, speaks a little bit to my distaste of epilogues. <laughs> yes. As a bonus chapter that doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, um, except for maybe one I'll talk about later on when we're talking about novels. <laughs> All right. But to get to novels, mm-hmm. we have to... Okay, so peek behind the curtain, everybody. We were interrupted by cats and had to retake transitioning <laughs> from scenes to short story. And my transition was, so short stories. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This was a much better one, which I have now ruined with this anecdote. But maybe you've just made it better. Potentially. It is for the listeners to decide. (laughs) (laughs) I can't save, I was going to say you can't save a podcast in the edit. You absolutely can. (laughs) Again, this is a problem for later Trevor. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's talk about short stories. And again, short story authority. Steph, um, talk to me about how you open a short story, because the way I open a short story is I don't, Mm. because I don't write short stories, because they always turn into novels. (laughs) Yes, I, like I mentioned earlier, I did not expect to become the short story authority. This was a pandemic thing. All my life. Sorry. <laughs> Writing in Robots Bingo is now going to include yep. the square short story authority. <laughs> I'm going to use it now. You've given me too much power. <laughs> um, so before 2020, you know, this was back when I was like, yeah, I'm going to write fantasy and sci-fi and I'm only going to write longer works. And I was struggling with some novels that honestly... I don't know if they're ever going to see the light of day now, because after everything I've learned, I don't know that I can doom the world with those. Oh, no. Um, there, there may be some nuggets I can use someday, but today is not that day. Uh, don't lose hope. Maybe later we'll talk about why you should never throw anything away. Yes. I found a use for something Ooh. that I first drafted in eighth grade. Ooh. No joke. Nice. I am very excited to have time to work. That is uh, my untitled YA project. Nice. Anyway. No, I trust me, I have folder upon folder of things that may Good. never see the light of day, but Be I'm never a digital throwing. Digital hoarder. Yeah. Oh. Hard drive space is cheap, it turns out. I am a physical and digital hoarder. <laughs> it is a skill I never knew I had. So during the pandemic, uh, I the company I worked for at the time, I was the first round of layoffs. Right. Oh, lucky you. I mean, Technically, they laid me off in April, but because I got really sick in March, I officially stopped working in March. Um, That left me with an unexpected amount of free time. And after my depression and moping of, oh God, I don't know what's going to happen to me, I decided to get back into writing. And part of what helped me get back into it was checking out different writing communities because I could not leave the house and craved some form of socialization. (laughs) So I checked out a number of different writing communities. Some of them ended up not being the best fit for me. There's one I stuck with. I talk about it a lot on my socials, autocrit. I love them. Anyway, long story short, any of the writing communities I checked out, there were always prompts for short stories. Mm -hmm. And I used that just as a chance to experiment. And if you've seen some of my blog posts where I have shared these experiments, some of them worked and some of them didn't, but it was a way for me to just get back into it. And then when I decided, okay, yeah, I'm going to just get into it. I'm going to fulfill my lifelong dream and become a self-published author because now I know it is possible. I had all these short stories (laughs) just everywhere. And because I have been slowly becoming more and more of a horror fan throughout the past decade, I realized my writing was getting a lot darker. And maybe that's because of the pandemic, or maybe that's just because of my own traumas. But I ended up with a lot of dark horror short stories. The pandemic and trauma are not mutually exclusive, Steph. I just want to point that out. (laughs) I just had, you know, the extra spicy stuff on top. Mm. And then as I was putting together these collections, I'd, you know, be arranging the short stories in an order that I felt worked for me and go, hmm, this is missing something. 
I'm going to write another short story just to fill this out a bit. And as you know, from beta reading coping mechanism, there was one of those short stories that was like, yeah, this is a good idea. I put it in and all the beta readers were like, this sucks. So then I took it out. Uh, it was the jazz hands one. Mm. Yes. Not my best work. And I'm willing to admit that. The challenge of that one was fit more than anything else. Yeah. Like less, less about quality and more about fit. It ended up the on collection. the blog. So yeah, well, yeah. Again, you find use for stuff, exactly. never throw it away. <laughs> so yeah, next thing I know, I've got three short story collections published. Uh, and I also learned through all of my digging into self-publishing, it is faster and cheaper to publish a short story collection than it is to publish a novel. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to churn out these short story collections while taking time to work on longer projects like Skull Daddy and some other things that I have in the works, which... Hopefully I can start telling people about in the next year because I've got some fun stuff. And yeah, I've now just ended up with lots of short stories and having to use those particular skills has helped my writing as a whole. And now when I participate in other, you know, autocrit community writing challenges, I... I know what I'm doing for writing a short story. It's no longer, this is an experiment. Ah, I know what to do. I know how to go about it. I take my idea. I take the prompt. I do my word vomit. And then I know how to fix it in post. So when you're looking at the opening of one of your stories that you're, that you're revising, like what makes the difference between a short story opening that doesn't quite work for you and one that works really well for you? If I personally decide that I hate it, then it doesn't work. Um, there have been some where I'm like, you know, I just hate the opening. And that's all a personal preference thing. I don't know if it's true or not. And then others, sometimes it's, you know, what the beta readers will tell you. Or when you're editing and you go, you know, it's just, it's not picking up speed fast enough. And you know, reading your own work, you're obviously biased and you're too far deep into it that sometimes you need those fresh pair of eyes. But if you're reading the opening and it's just not quite bringing you into the action fast enough, or if it's dragging on a little too much, like, oh, it was a snowy day and she was driving and she was really tired and, 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 and yeah. it just keeps going. And then it's like, okay, maybe let's cut this rearrange some things and get to the point. I think if I can if I can drill down on that, like too much time establishing a setting mm -hmm. at the beginning of a short story yes. is those are lost words. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about your shorts and the things that like I really love about them, you always seem to pick the right stakes mm. to establish right up front. And I'm terrible at remembering the titles of things. So I'm going to get you to prompt me with some of your short right. stories. So If you can give me a description, I can let you know what it is. Um, Mikey's playing hide and seek. Here I come. From Coping, coping mechanism. mechanism. So Here I Come establishes right up front um, that Mikey is, like, there's all these little kids. It's it's a birthday party? Oh, it's just there's random social, play date. Social gathering for these little kids play it's date. It's a satanic play date. They're playing... <laughs> But not up front. No. Nope. Up front, Mikey is the, the kind of loner kid, the outcast who wants to belong, who wants to not feel afraid to socialize with these other kids. And that is such a compelling conflict. That is such a compelling want for that character up front that, like, the fact that it becomes uh, what it becomes <laughs> later on is almost entirely irrelevant to the fact that, like, Mikey's desires to be accepted and to not be, like, I guess, demeaned by some of the, especially some of the bigger boys is is so compelling. And those are the kind of things that you pick up. I'm going to not remember another title from Coping mm -hmm. Mechanism. Uh, plane Crash, Three Dudes Are Stranded. Wrath. Wrath. So Wrath immediately sets up three survivors who are stranded who have pretty significantly different value systems and how they think they are going to survive or not. And that is really interesting conflict. Again, what comes later, <laughs> right, 
is it's like the thing that keeps you invested is that conflict that you establish right up front. Um, and whether that's internal or, mm -hmm. you know, interpersonal conflict, those are the things that really compel me about your short stories. And so. using trauma as inspiration <laughs> is a blessing and a curse because yeah, it really helps create that conflict for some of these stories. Well, it, it feels it feels very real and very authentic, mm -hmm. and I think that's um, I, I I think I remember being pretty effusive in my praise about <laughs> like especially about the character of Mikey. I was mm -hmm. like I I as a reader, me personally, like I want to stay with Mikey and kind of make sure he's okay. <laughs> he um, is not okay. He is not okay. <laughs> Do we want to talk about novels? I think we've reached that time. Okay, let's talk about novels. Steph, I love writing a novel. I really like <laughs> writing novels. And first chapters are so hard. Yup. Yup. So and they are frustrating for me because I know kind of what goes into making a good mm -hmm. first chapter. Like, like reading your short stories. It's a little bit like reading your short stories and being like, I see what she's doing right. I struggle to replicate it <laughs> in my own work. But like, your first chapter of a novel has a lot of things. You have to do a, a fair amount of legwork in a first chapter, right? Mm -hmm. You have to make, you have to make realistic promises to your reader that you're going to follow through on. And a lot of that is done in establishing your setting, your tone, your voice, your point of view, um, like your main character's character, and what the pacing is going to look mm -hmm. like. Like, Right down to the length of your first chapter, you are setting promises for what comes next. Like, how do we, how do we, how do we do these things? How do we do them well? Oh. And it's like, you can plot all of those things out. Mm -hmm. Right? As established, I am a plotter. I know what scenes to put into place to make those things happen. Mm -hmm. Right? But then how do you make it, how do you make it good and compelling? Yes. I, <laughs> all right, so I am going to compare the project I've already brought up, Skull Daddy, versus a actual full-length novel that I have been working on called The Tunnel. And the difference in their first chapters <laughs> is why Skull Daddy will be ready to publish before The Tunnel. Yeah. Skull Daddy, I didn't even plan it this way. I just started the action at the six month mark in the story because the whole story takes place over the course of the year. I've broken it up. Starting at literally the halfway mark is maybe the best definition of late. Yeah. We could, we could have in this episode. I, the first chapter starts in April when someone has just died and mm -hmm. we see this poor traumatized family struggling with this death but it ends on a what the hell is going on here moment where, yeah. huh, maybe this kid is creepy. And But this is really good advice, right? If mm -hmm. you are starting that late, mm -hmm. then at that point in the story... So if you've given yourself permission mm -hmm. to do that nonlinear storytelling, do that flashback, then you can start your story with stakes established. Mm -hmm. You can start your story with previewing a character's conflict yes. in a really high stakes way versus where you might find mm -hmm. them at the start of the story. So that's that's a really great technique for sure. And for Skull Daddy it works because I can start in April and then I go back to October so that you can see where it all began, what leads to that really tragic moment and then you get the resolution of the story. Mm -hmm. But then the tunnel, by comparison, that, for the purposes of the story, I have chosen a very linear model. Um, and then with the chapters, I go back and forth with different characters' point of views because uh, they're all experiencing very different messed up things. Um, the problem is... It's like what we were talking about earlier. It starts with some high school kids. And although I don't start with them waking up and having breakfast, it's <laughs> I start with them leaving school and what happens to them after they leave school. 
But every time I have gone through and edited, Mm -hmm. I cannot find a way to get them into that action where I need them to be. Because there does need to be a little bit of that build up for the purposes of the story. But I'm not happy with my starting place. And I... I have tried so much. I have <laughs> tried pulling in hints of what might happen later on and just using that to play away with, uh, play around with the structure of the yeah. start of the story. Didn't work. It was dry as hell. And now I'm like, maybe I'll start with some newspaper clippings because that still ties in with the story. <laughs> but then that gets me dangerously into this is prologue territory. And yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Let's, so. let's talk about prologues for a sec, because yes. that's that's a cheat, like, sort of similar to the way you can kind of cheat your first chapter mm-hmm. by starting really deep into the story yeah. and then doing the flashback. A prologue can be its own kind of cheat, yeah. right? I think it has to be used well. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a taste thing. Mm-hmm. I hate prologues and epilogues, except... <laughs> If they are separate from the main narrative. So if you kind of are elsewhere, if you're elsewhere for the prologue, Mm -hmm. you come into the story and then you go elsewhere for the epilogue. I'm kind of okay with that because then it feels like bonuses, Mm -hmm. right? It's your your post-credits scene rather than, by the way, here's some more stuff that happens after your story's over, right? I find that so frustrating. And I think the worst one in my mind is the epilogue in Harry Potter. Let's be clear. J.K. Rowling sucks. Yes. But everybody's read Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It's like talking about Star Wars when you're discussing film. Yeah. It is just a thing that everybody has as a cultural mm-hmm. reference point, right? The epilogue in Harry Potter has no stakes. Mm-hmm. It has no arc. It is a scene that is not a scene. Yes. It is just some stuff what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's such a deflating moment if you were enjoying the story. I also didn't like the entire seventh book, but that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but... If you were invested in the story, it's such a deflating moment, but it is the stuff that the fans wanted, so she did it. Yes. That's a bad epilogue. Mm -hmm. Going back to prologue, you can cheat your first chapter with a prologue if you give something really compelling, right? I have actually been wondering recently if I should be focusing on getting Persephone ready for query, or if I should just start querying... Annette and the Broken Shroud, which mm. is another middle grade fantasy. It's lower middle grade, whereas Persephone is more upper middle grade, straying into YA territory. But um, Annette is about... Um, the the story itself is about a, a tooth fairy who is unable to perform this very basic piece of fairy magic, and she is worried that it's going to cost her her future. And she has to go to school, and all of her peers mm. are able to just do what they're supposed to do, and there's this one thing that she just can't get her head around. Mm. It was really important for me to early on set up the fact that, like, this is not just Annette putting pressure on herself. There is the weight of family legacy Mm. behind it, and she is terrified about disappointing her family as as, as well as just wanting to be like the others and be able to do this herself. Not a super compelling place to open the story, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's interesting. The, the weight of expectation, of parental expectation, mm-hmm. is a thing that is, like, very real for the target audience. Yep. But, come, like, a, mm-hmm. a, scene, a scene of that is not the place to start yeah. the book. So what I did was I created a paired prologue and epilogue mm-hmm. for it that both take place separate for, from the mm-hmm. main story. So the prologue is setting up this kind of like background conflict that weaves in and out of the story which is oh boy somebody who really should not have access to a deep and arcane magic has access to a deep and arcane magic and it sets up some of the side characters that um that we're going to meet uh, over the course of the mm-hmm. story so by the time we meet Annette and her mom we have the understanding that there is something else going on in this world that is going to become very important to our characters. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit of a cheat. Yeah. Right? Uh, It totally works. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't skip. (laughs) You have to hope that somebody's not going to skip a prologue. Yes. um, If you do that. Um, But it is a way that if you do need to spend that time setting up 
the more the quieter, more interpersonal mm-hmm. stuff, you can also start with a bang and then pull it back without yeah. really breaking your point of view. Because mm-hmm. I maintain a third person. Li- I really like third person limited for middle grade. Mm-hmm. It turns out it's important unless you're doing it very specifically for very particular reasons. It's important not to break your point of view. Mm-hmm. I feel like especially when I'm writing for younger audiences, I don't want to introduce a bunch of different points of view. I want it to be fairly consistent and predictable so that the readers aren't thrown out of the story, mm-hmm. right? More sophisticated readers, you can, you can play with that more, but for a younger audience, yeah, shouldn't. But I get to rigorously maintain that third person limited mm-hmm. throughout the entire story, except yeah. for those more omniscient prologue and epilogue. Mm-hmm. Persephone, it's the same thing as for the tunnel. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as for the tunnel. I have rewritten that first chapter four times. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's a struggle. And, like, originally, I came in too early and really focused on characterization, right? Tristan, be here, best buds. I really wanted to establish them Mm -hmm. up front. I think that's the version that you read, right? Like it it picks up on the farm in Trista's workshop. Mm -hmm. There's this whole conversation. No, bad. (laughs) Wrong. Then I came in too late, right? Late in has a boundary. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) And my second chapter, I came in way too late. Like, um, and then I came in again and just did a different too early. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm in this process of pendulum swinging between too early, too late, too Mm -hmm. early, too late. And I think, I think part of the problem is not just when you choose to start the first chapter, mm-hmm. but in how efficient your storytelling is. Yes. So my current approach, and we'll see if it pays off, 50-50 on whether or not it's going to work for me. I'm optimistic. Is I'm starting essentially where I started before, like in my first draft, mm-hmm. establishing Tristan Bahir but I'm just speed running the chapter, yep. <laughs> right? And I think that like if you establish that the stakes are high early enough, you can do so. Mm-hmm. And you can just, you can start relatively early, but just get to the point as yep. fast as possible. Um, and for something like an adventure story that has bits of elemental thriller in it with like uh, a chase, a race against time, you always have this like lurking presence behind mm-hmm. you kind of urging you on. I think you can get away with it. I don't think it's universal. I don't yeah. think speed running the first chapter is a universal solution, but I think in this case it'll work. Mm-hmm. Like for me, where I am with the tunnel right now, I have been debating just cutting everything before they actually get to the tunnel. Cause they get there completely by accident. Mm-hmm. But based on some of the lore I've set up... That could up, be a great opening line, too. Yeah. They found the tunnel completely by exactly. accident. It's, so, like, not a bad... <laughs> but, like, oh, I'm having such a struggle with the first chapter <laughs> of that one because there are so many ways I could approach them and it's trying to find the right way. Because the moment they set foot inside that tunnel, bad things are going to happen. If you've read any of my stuff, you know that that is not a happy <laughs> tunnel. I just need to get them to the tunnel in a way that's not going to make people go, ugh, why did I buy this book and throw it against the wall? (sighs) Oh, okay. So on our note of prologues, while I think about it, I might be able to make that work for my NaNoWriMo project this year because I'm playing around with some stuff and we're going to see if it works and I'm going to have fun. My NaNoWriMo project... And this is the first the world is hearing about it. This is the first I'm hearing yes. about it. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the horror movie Grave Encounters. It is a found footage film of a paranormal investigation crew that goes to check out a haunted asylum and what could possibly go wrong. So I'm taking that and then the horror film Isolation, which takes place on a farm with really up cows um it's a beautiful film i i have very unique tastes and i'm kind of putting that together for like a paranormal investigation type story on a really messed up haunted farm but i want to frame part of it as if it's happening as a tv show 
Ooh, so kind of yes. kind of epistolary segments yes, in it. Yes, because I, like I do it. love an epistolary story. Yeah. So I'm gonna be, and this this is why I'm plotting this year so that I can plan out nice. when is it the TV show, when is it all the stuff that's happening behind the camera. Um, and so for this, I have the opportunity to use a prologue because I don't have to start the story with story. I can do the TV intro as my prologue. Amazing. And then first chapter is they're en route to this creepy little messed up farm where you probably shouldn't get too close to the cows or the old couple that lives there. But that's a problem (laughs) for later. Uh, I love Epistolary. It is a great way Mm -hmm. to approach things. I did something similar in my eco-thriller, The Amundsen Effect, which is the least ready of my books (laughs) for publication. We all have Um, one. Yeah. That is one of those things that is a trunk novel that, like, I will get back to eventually. Mm -hmm. If the Arctic doesn't fully melt before then, there is a shrinking window of that book yeah, being relevant unfortunately to, uh, hurry up and write that yeah. one <laughs> the main character of the munson effect is a journalist and he does a bunch of podcasts and he does a bunch of interviews so i get to take transcriptions from those and, and pepper them in and i think the most effective draft of that opened with one of those mm-hmm. so yeah epistolary is also a great way oh, yeah. if that's something that you're doing it's a great way to, to open a novel just as a fun aside do you have any, like, opening lines for novels or shorts that you particularly love? Oh, do I? Uh, I've got a list because I came prepared. Amazing. I, I have one specific one that I want to talk about a little bit. All right. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to talk about not my work for this one. Do it. So I've got my top three. And the first one, I had this opening line hammered into my brain as a child by both my parents, but especially my dad, to the point where I was like, I gotta read this book. (laughs) Uh, And it was The Hobbit. Yes. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. Like... And that got hammered into me as a child so that when I, I want to say I was 12, I finally went, I got to read this book. And then I stayed up late New Year's Eve while my parents were out. It was my first year babysitting my little sister and chapter five scared the crap out of me. (laughs) And for that reason, The Hobbit has stuck with me for a long, long time. But in, in terms of opening lines, it does, it really does do so much. Oh, yeah. It's so much. It immediately establishes that we are in a fantasy world. Mm -hmm. It gives so much context about what a hobbit is so that it can then be undermined by Bilbo's adventure. And, you know, as a child, I would ask my dad after he quoted this, well, what is a hobbit? Like, you just want to keep reading. Yeah. And I have... But it also says so much about what a hobbit is yeah. at the same time. It leaves it leaves a lot to the imagination. It's not a gross little creature. It's something that likes to live in comfort. Mm-hmm. And especially for a book like The Hobbit, mm-hmm. The Hobbit's a children's book yeah. at the end of the day, right? And I think people maybe aggrandize Tolkien mm-hmm. a little bit, but it's a children's, it's a children's book. book. And that's such a beautiful bit of tone mm-hmm. setting for a kid's book. It's like, no, this is this yeah. is somebody you want to know. Mm -hmm. I love it. I I love that opening line. All right. So my next one, I actually just finished reading this book and uh, I spoke a little bit about it on the last podcast. Uh, It's for Joe Hill's The Fireman. Harper Grayson had seen lots of people burn on TV. Everyone (laughs) had. But the first person she saw burn for real was in the playground behind the school. Tell me you don't want to keep reading after that. Whoa, that took a turn at the end. Yep. That's very good. Yeah. Because it pulls you in with this shared experience, mm-hmm. right? This shared false experience. Yeah. And then, oh no, this person has seen it for real. And then it's a hard left. Yeah, on into... a playground with Whoa. children watching. That's very good. And yeah, that, <clears throat> oh, it took me a little longer to read through that book because there were some moments where I had to put it down. I'm like, I'm so stressed right now. <laughs> Because it's one of those horror books where, yes, 
Joe Hill could have made all of the horror just about the disease and the people bursting into flames and, you know, all of the body horror surrounding that. But where the horror actually comes from in that book is what people will do to one another in times of great stress. And so, like, give me all the body horror, sure. But when you've got crazy people being like, yeah, I'm going to take your baby away from you, then it's like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm very stressed right now. Have you ever played um, the Telltale series, The Walking Dead? No. Those video games? I don't play many video games. That's okay. They're <laughs> interactive fiction with pictures. <laughs> If you like that kind of stress, nice. uh, Telltale's The Walking Dead, Ooh. I think to date it is the only video game that has made me cry, Yay! and it did it twice, <laughs> and I was just, I was so upset, and it was exactly what you're talking nice. about. So that's, I mean, I guess that's a recommendation. Mm -hmm. I'm breaking format a little bit. Mm -hmm. oh, if I you haven't more. done that and you like <laughs> horror, uh, do that. Um, so this one... Uh, this was a case of I was stupid and judged a book by its cover. Uh-oh. Uh, I was reading through pretty much any Grady Hendrix book I could get my hands on. And I saw the title. I saw the cover art. I was like, this one's probably not going to be my favorite. Uh, it is my favorite. I will defend this book. <laughs> I, If you've seen pictures of me, I have a lot of tattoos. I would like a tattoo of a peach because of this book. So... Uh, this is a fit that in somewhere between the Borg Queen and uh, I got the space on my back. It's good. <laughs> um, so this, I really like this opening line because it sets the time period up really well, but then also sets some stakes for the main character. So. In 1988, George H.W. Bush had just won the presidential election by inviting everyone to read his lips, while Michael Dukakis lost it by riding in a tank. Dr. Huxable was America's dad, Kate and Allie were America's moms, the Golden Girls were America's grandmoms, McDonald's had announced it was opening its first restaurant in the Soviet Union, everyone bought Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time and didn't read it, Phantom of the Opera opened on Broadway, and Patricia Campbell got ready to die. Lovely. And, yeah, it... Time, setting, tone. When you read that book, the scene that follows that immediately after puts this supposed death into a completely different perspective. But then when you get to the end of the book, you're like, oh, maybe that was a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, yeah, I cannot speak highly enough about The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. <laughs> I don't think I have actually said the title until now. I just told you it was the book with the peach. <laughs> um, <laughs> but honestly, how many Grady Hendrix books has had peaches on the cover? That's, that's a great opening. That's a really good opening. I'm going to share one that is extremely short. And I like talking about speed running a first chapter. This is speedrunning and opening in a way that I really, really appreciate. Neil Stephenson's sci-fi epic Seven Eves, which is two-thirds of my favorite sci-fi book ever and about a third of, I don't, I, I don't really care, uh, <laughs> which I feel like is a lot of people's experience reading that book, opens with the line, the moon blew up without warning and for no apparent reason. I love that. And... The thing I love about this the most is that science fiction audiences, especially ones that have primarily grown up watching movies, um, and especially franchise movies, mm -hmm. and are not necessarily into literary sci-fi as much, are always looking for backstory and lore and for all of the T's to be crossed and I's to be dotted in terms of storytelling. And what Stevenson does here is immediately sets up very clear stakes and immediately tells you that the why of why those are the stakes does not matter. Mm -hmm. And we are going to proceed. Nice. <laughs> and that is what he does, <laughs> right? The, the entire thing is about what is happening with the fact that the moon blew up. A lot <laughs> would happen. A lot. And a lot does. <laughs> it is a meaty book. But he makes it very clear that, like, we are moving forward. Mm-hmm. And you have to for a book like the one that he wrote, which is so concerned with the minutiae of the response mm. to the moon blowing up. Yeah. 
again, speed running an opening. Yeah. He does it. He moves like he he tells you exactly how fast he's going to move mm-hmm. right off the top. And yeah, that's another point that kind of ties into all the stuff we've talked about in this podcast so far is you don't <clears throat> need to waste time thinking about why did this happen? Why is this going on? You just Here's what happened. Yeah. Get over it. Here you go. You are the author. Mm-hmm. It is your world to play in. Yeah. You can say, this is, mm-hmm. and it is. Yeah. You don't need to ask why Jason and Freddie and Michael Myers kill people. <laughs> you just need to accept that they do kill people. You do. Steph. Yes. Let's do our recommendations, and then we'll turn Bishop back on and yes. see if we can get a writing prompt out of him. Awesome. Her. It. We probably shouldn't gender a robot, eh? No, yeah, that brings up a whole other debate, yes. Yeah. Just Bishop is Bishop. What is your recommendation for the week, Steph? I have two recommendations. Uh, One is a movie recommendation because I just saw Saw X in theaters and I can't stop thinking about it. And so far it is the highest rated Saw film on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, wow. Yes, I adored it. More than the first? Yeah. I mean... How? I, I think part of it is... Okay, so the first is a masterpiece. It works perfectly as a standalone film. I love it. It is one of my favorites. As a fan of the franchise... Okay. Saw X is like the perfect Saw film. And yes, nothing will awesome. ever top the first film for me because it is what it is but the thing i tell people is the saw films are a nice comfort series for me because of the formula you go in you know what you're gonna get it could be any crazy situation and i know i'm gonna get the traps i know i'm gonna get the twist ending and i got everything that i wanted out of that movie as a fan uh it was well directed there were moments where there was a turning point and i went did the lighting just change? Like just little clever things like that. And knowing what to look out for. I saw the twist coming a mile away, but when it did happen, it was exciting for me because I was like, oh yeah, they're finally getting to it. Whereas the friend I went to see it with, the twist caught him completely off guard because he's like, no way, I wasn't expecting it. I was like, oh no, because this and this and this and they... They did the things. And so I just had a blast. And if anyone needs a movie buddy, I will go watch it again. Um, But my book recommendation, we were talking a bit about this before we started recording. I just listened to the most beautiful audio book, which uh, is honestly perfect for the spooky season. It is by Jeff Strand, and it is called Clowns vs. Spiders. (laughs) And you get exactly what the title says you're going to get. It is a... Talk about making and fulfilling promises. Honestly, it was silly and wonderful, and I was not disappointed. And there were even things I did not expect, like the clowns themselves. I was not expecting him to go in that direction with their character development, (laughs) but he did, and it was beautiful. And I highly recommend, unless you're an arachnophobe, clowns versus spiders. Excellent. Um, I, I have, I'm just going to bring one, I'm going to bring one and a half recommendations, um, because, uh, I am currently, uh, around two, two thirds of the way through, um, China Mieville's Rail Sea. And so that is going to be a very enthusiastic recommendation, (laughs) I'm sure in an upcoming episode. Um, boy, I tend to think of myself as a pretty like workmanlike journeyman, commercial fiction author but if i had aspirations to do something artistic i think it would look an awful lot like <laughs> like rail sea um what what if what if whaling what if moby dick but trains Ooh. uh it is it is very very good uh and extremely weird and i like that a lot i'm gonna have to check that one out um, it's so much fun stuff i'm having a ton of fun with it um but in terms of just sheer quality something that i read recently um, is a memoir, which I have not read many of. I don't do that all that much. I tend to, um, 
I tend to not read first-person accounts of people's lives. I am both aware of the author of this one um, and have met him a handful of times, so I wanted to check it out. It is Son of Elsewhere by Elamine Abdul-Mahmoud, and he hosts Commotion on CBC. He's around. He's like a media personality here in Canada uh, for any of our international listeners. And it's about him and his family immigrating to Canada from Sudan when he was 12 years old. Um, and they land, of all places, in Kingston, Ontario, which is a notoriously white and conservative kind of area. And it is about his experience becoming black, mm. right? That's not a thing that he contended with yeah. in Sudan. Suddenly, the cultural context is wildly different. And how does a 12-year-old growing up, learning who he is, defining who he is, you know, first loves, all of that... How does he negotiate that? And the ways he does, the ways in which he rejected that on his journey to understanding uh, understanding those nuances and, and ultimately kind of embracing them is just, it. it's so beautifully and intimately written, but not in a saccharine way, mm-hmm. just a very personal, thorough, um, transparent way uh, that really... Um, it, it, it was a very compelling read for that reason. Um, I have never been so interested to hear about somebody's past writing WWE fan fiction <laughs> before in my life. <laughs> it was like, it was some of the most compelling reading I have had. And I have read some very good novels recently. Um, and I was I was more invested in the WWE <laughs> fan Anyway, read... Uh, read Son of Elsewhere. It is extremely good. It is one of, it is one of my favorite Canadian novels. Mm-hmm. Like, not just because it was written here, but like thematically and mm-hmm. and in terms of sensibility and in terms of, um, in, in terms of like negotiating what a Canadian identity does and doesn't mean mm-hmm. and has to and doesn't have to mean, um, and and challenging status quo expectations around that really lovely piece of writing um elamine is cool that's my recommendation steph shall we try our first flash fiction prompt with our little robot friend oh yes uh bishop we need a prompt yeah summer is over and we're getting into fall give us something seasonal about autumn and halloween and spooky Vito. Vito. Look, I am ready for fall. I'm loving the cool weather. I'm a big sweaty man. (laughs) (laughs) It's much appreciated. But I had a really nice vacation with my kiddos in August. So can we have like one last gap of summer? Fine. Fine. But we are properly celebrating Halloween Eve next episode. Generating flash fiction prompt. Summer is ending and things are spooky. Oh, okay. Yeah, that works. Processing. In the waning days of August, summer vacation draws to a close. A child discovers something buried in the sand at the bottom of the lake. All right. That was a great prompt, Bishop. Thank you very much. Uh, We are accepting submissions, Steph. We actually have a form set up on the website at writinginrobots.com. It's linked on the front page. You will see the flash fiction prompt there. We are asking people for 300 words. I think that's a that's a good length. Yeah. Um, 300 words on Bishop's prompt. Make sure that you select the right prompt in the list because we're going to kind of keep the form open for submissions. We will publish everything that we receive on the website with the understanding that there may be some editorial control exercise. Mm-hmm. I think there is lots of space for shenanigans in the writing prompts. If it's really dark and disturbing, send it directly to me on my website. <laughs> I think dark and disturbing will publish, but, uh, you know, your racisms, your sexisms, your homophobias, yes. maybe leave, if, leave them at home. If there's any of that, uh, I will print off a copy just so I can burn it. Ooh, all right. But yeah, and if we particularly like some, we may read them on the podcast. Ooh. Steph, where can the people find you? Uh, as per usual, stephanieannauthor.ca. Uh, I am all over social media on 
the app formerly known as Twitter, Facebook, uh, but I spend most of my time on Instagram and TikTok. If you would like to see cat pictures or watch me <laughs> do unhinged little videos of what it's like to be a horror writer working from home, Instagram and TikTok are the best places to find me. Look for me uh, anywhere you find social media content. Uh, Love Make Share is the handle, and lovemakeshare.ca is the website. As always, you can find episodes, show notes, recommendations, flash fiction prompts, Yay! and more at writinginrobots.com. Thank you for listening, Steph. Thank you for hanging out for a little while today. <laughs> I'm glad your kids allowed you this uh, <laughs> one moment of freedom. This brief respite. <laughs>